0: Right, everyone, we are reaching the end of 2019, but I can't think of a better way to end 2019 than for you to be listening to the Sons of History podcast. I am Dustin Bass.
1: And I am Alan Joaquin.
0: And Alan Joaquin is on the other side of the world, well, I guess on the other side of 610 and 59 in Houston, pretty far away from me. He is not feeling fantastic. You've been sick for what, the past few days? A week. A week. All right. I've been sick for a week. All right. So how are you feeling right now? You feeling a little bit better?
1: I'm feeling better. You know, I'm a little irritated because I was sick about a month ago and uh, I planned on taking my flu shot, but I was told don't do it while you're sick. So I thought I'd wait a few weeks and around the time I wanted to get the flu shot, I started having that sore throat again.
0: Unbelievable. And almost unacceptable. But we must move on. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be talking about the Brexit, the UK elections, and this week marks the beginning, at least, of the Battle of the Bulge. This is the 75th anniversary of the Battle of the Bulge of towards the end of World War II. We're going to be getting in on that at the very tail end of the show uh but ladies and gentlemen, if you have been paying attention to what's going on in the mother country, uh, the UK, they recently had an election. Alan, were you surprised at the election results?
1: I was. I did not expect such a one sided victory for the Tories.
0: Right. Yeah. Me me neither. I um I was no, All
1: I saw was that they were talking about uh, that it's going to be a close election. Close election. That's all I saw.
0: Yeah. And wow, it wasn't even close. Uh, there were there, 365 seats uh, in parliament going to the Conservatives, and you only need 326 for a majority. So that is uh, that is incredible that the Conservatives won that many. Labour. Uh, now, Corbyn, I believe, looks like he may be in, uh, he may be just, he may be out uh, as leader of the Labour Party. Uh, they only have 203 seats, and the Scottish National Party, the SP, has 48. So uh, Liberal Democrats, 11. Um, I don't think Brexit, I don't think the Brexit Party won, won any seats, but I don't really think that that matters to an extent to the Brexit Party. Uh, Mm -hmm. because so many went to the conservative party. And one of the conservatives that had been um, a member of parliament, an MP for 20-plus years, was Dominic Grieve, um, and he was ousted by a Tory. So he was a pro-EU conservative, and so to me that just sort of indicates exactly where the voters in the UK are standing.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, let me ask you, the... um that uh, that Brexit party was that similar to the Tea Party?
0: Yeah, I think that that was um, pretty similar to they want a you know this the sort of the massive change in, in government or the direction of the government, um, and I think that the Tea Party sort of played a role of motivation for the Brexit party. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, yeah, and you know. There you have it. It's it's been a bit of a domino effect, I guess. Um, I guess you could give a little credit to the to the Tea Partiers, um, and then you have the Brexit. But I think the Brexit situation was was the big thing, at least over in Europe, because once Brexit happened, you at least had murmurings of a Frexit, a Nexit, a Grexit, all this stuff. Like you know, it it'll leave you know for. Italy and, you know, France and and Greece. And so all these countries are like, oh, well, maybe we need to throw a referendum out there and see what the people think uh, about either staying or leaving in in the EU. So, yeah. Um, And, you know, I think to an extent as well, um, a little bit of the Trump effect, uh, you're seeing, you know, just an incredible, I guess, turn of events because, you know, you're referencing everybody was saying it'll be a close election it's going to be really close well everybody was saying that Hillary Clinton was going to win and Trump won you know in an electoral college sense in a landslide uh, or to an ex- you know it, he it was it was not in doubt after a while um, before all the the votes were tallied um, in the electoral college so I don't know man um, this is an interesting time to see um, the rise of I, I, I'm going to say the rise of nationalism, but I am not going to use nationalism in a negative sense. I think the, the term nationalism is being miscued. Um And I think every time somebody says nationalism, um, mm-hmm. in, in, in any sense, either they're saying it and they're not meaning it in a certain sense, but everybody else is taking it in that certain sense. We always reference right back to World War II with right. Italy and Germany. And, and and countries like that, where it's like, the rise of nationalism leads to this. Like, no, the rise of nationalism doesn't lead to this. There's a difference in nationalism, and there's a difference in freaking Hitler um, and Mussolini and people like that, to where, you know, it's it's nationalism out of revenge.
1: I agree wholeheartedly. And if you do, a, <clears throat> I did a com- comparison between the Google search and DuckDuckGo search of nationalism. Mm-hmm. The, the Google search I found uh, after hearing about it was that Google looks at oh they you know the reference to the Nazis reference to the fascists like you were like you were suggesting, mm-hmm. white supremacists. Right. but when I did the DuckDuckGo search, it was more of uh, just feeling you know feeling pride about your nation, mm-hmm. which I think everybody should feel. And I would like to compare that to your pride. If let's say you're a Pittsburgh Steeler fan or Dallas Cowboy or Houston Texan, it's not that you hate the people of Pittsburgh. Well, you might, but mm-hmm. in this case, if you're a Steeler fan, it's because you love the Steelers. Right. Or even if you are a uh, like if you are an Alabama fan or a Notre Dame or for me Texas A and M. You know, I'm proud of Texas A&M, but that doesn't mean that someone who went to Notre Dame or Harvard, that they suck. It just means that, hey, you have a good school, I have a good school, but I'm proud to be a graduate, and Aggie of Texas A&M.
0: Right. I think it's, um, you know, that we live in a time where globalism, you know, not everybody, obviously not everybody, there's a major trend um, towards the opposite of go- of globalism um and it may just be that you know there's the the phrase uh, the silent majority that's sort of coming out it's just like look we're done with the bureaucracy we're not done with it but we're we're weary of it um and i think to an extent like the whole um being you know the whole nationalism thing is i think a lot of people are starting to be like you know there's nothing wrong with saying look i i, I love my country um, and I want what is best for my country. And when President Trump often says, you know, America first, the people on, on the right or the conservatives say, yeah, like I, like America's interests, you know, national interests, like let's look out for us first, our, for our citizens. And typically people like, in you know, liberal and, and, and on the left, uh, especially in the far left, they start identifying that as, you know, oh God, you know, what's, what's going to happen? Look, I think that there is the place for uh, caution. I I Mm -hmm. always think that there is the place for caution because anybody who, you know, says that they, you know, wholeheartedly trust a, a politician or president or a, a prime minister or whatever, that to me is, that is cause for concern right there. Cause I'm like, then you get to the point where the person can start doing anything, and you're like, yeah, well, we're moving in the right direction because this person is leading us. So anyways, I just wanted to drop
1: that in there. Well, you know, you have to kind of look at it as a family also, a family unit where, Mm -hmm. you know, the the father, who is proud of his kids and posts pictures of his kids, doesn't necessarily consider the children of, let's say their friend or a stranger as being less than their own kids. It's mm-hmm. just that you know, they love their kids and, and they're gonna lock the door at night and lock the windows at night for their own kids. They yeah. love their family. You know, you build uh you build a strong structure and lock the doors
2: right. to protect, protect your family. Them. And
1: right. right. And you're gonna you gonna you're gonna have, like I said, photos of your children and, and proclaim I've got the greatest kids and I'm proud of my kids' bumper stickers, and yeah. my kid is an honor student, bumper sticker, that type of thing. And it, it's just, it's just pride, you know. When I was in Lebanon, I saw a lot of people wearing T-shirts that said "Proud to be Lebanese."
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, I, I never looked at them as considering other nations around them as being inferior. Right. It just meant pride of your own.
0: Exactly. So anyway, so let's get on to the whole, um, so the UK results, this, uh, the Brexit situation, cause I, I see this, um, this, these election results as the people have had enough with the going back and forth. We're going to talk about that real quick, um, with, you know, the parliament just, you know, doing these, um, meaningful votes and everything. But I do want to mention that Britain is not the first one to exit the EU, the first one to exit the EU was actually Greenland. Um, this was in 1982, and they took a referendum, and it was 53% who decided, yeah, they want to leave the EU, and that was primarily due to fishing rights. And speaking of fishing rights, um, that's been a a sticking point uh, for the people of Britain as well, um, because the EU has created regulations and laws restricting, you know, their, you know what how much they can catch what they can do uh, as far as fishing um but anyways Greenland, greenland ended up leaving the eu in 1985 so that was the first one so now we move all the way up to 2016 when uh david cameron was like yeah let's go ahead and do uh david cameron was the prime minister he was a prime minister for britain for about six years um and in 2016, he's like, okay, yeah, let's go ahead and do this um, referendum to see if we want to stay in the EU. He did not anticipate the people saying, yeah, let's get out of there. And they said that there was a 72% turnout and the final vote was 52 to 48. Now that's pretty close for such an important thing. And I think I've said before that maybe it should have been like a, maybe a super majority. Like, you know, you have to reach at least 60% Um in order for us to go ahead and, and do that. But they just went with just a simple majority. Um, and so here we are now, or as far as, you know, here's Britain now uh, in this situation. Uh, David Cameron, right after that happened, right after the referendum, he resigned. Um, and that was on June 24th of 2016. Theresa May was appointed by the Queen uh, on July tw- July 13th, 2016. And she only lasted, you know, she lasted, what, less than three years Uh, and she recently resigned, and now you have Boris Johnson leading the charge uh, for the Conservative Party. So what are your what are your thoughts on the Brexit thing? Do you think this is going to be a domino effect? Or you think um, it's just going to be um, Great Britain? Because I know you and I had talked before the show. And I was like, you know, it seems like Americans and Britons, you know, we have the, the language connection, but we also have a lot of different connections. Um, and we really love the idea and the experience of freedom, liberty, and being able to sort of just make your own way and, and do your own do your own thing as a country. Uh, what do you think about, is this going to be a domino effect?
1: I, I can't tell you that. Here's what I will tell you is, um, now I did... Uh, I, looked at facebook and i have two friends who live in britain both of whom are more of the liberal labor nature mm-hmm. and they themselves were fed up with the whole brexit fight
2: mm-hmm.
1: i think they i think they have recognized that the people voted even though they supported uh, staying in the eu i think they realized look the people have voted already yeah. two three times time to leave and you know they're of the we need to respect the will of the people so for them <clears throat> excuse me sorry for them they they were just tired with the whole argument and were ready to move on right they were prepared for brexit and they knew that okay we're ready so now in terms of will this lead to a domino effect it could and it it could not and here's why I even say that I think that there are a lot of people who, feel nationalistic pride but at the same time they realize the importance in commerce to be able to be let's say a truck driver now i have a friend uh, i have a friend who lives in uh, holland uh, i've mentioned his name before robert Meinen, who's a who's a farmer and a truck driver mm-hmm. and and he supports the the uh, union because he can ship his goods anywhere in the union that he wants he doesn't limit it to the, the Dutch, he can ship, just, and you just cross the border and, and sell in Germany, sell in France, you know, whatever. It's, it's the same thing. And they prefer, in terms of commerce, they prefer that where they can just drive their goods across the border without being harassed by uh, customs and mm-hmm. duties and in, in the sort. But at the same time, you're going to have, you know, he had some members of his family that hated the eu They wanted holland to keep their national identity yeah. and not be absorbed by so much of the powerful states like uh germany right. france you know that they, they just don't want to be absorbed by these big countries they want to be they want their national identity to uh to remain mm-hmm. now uh, first of all, I want to mention real quick, I had no idea that Greenland left the EU because my understanding was that it's a uh, Danish colony, but, uh, and hopefully, who knows, it might become an American colony or an American state. That would be good to, uh, mm-hmm. to see that one of these states. Yeah, I believe uh, they,
0: they got their freedom from the Danish in 1979.
1: Really? I thought they were still a Danish colony. And according to that, the research that's... that I did. Okay, that's interesting. Um now if you if you take a look, now keep in mind that I think I think Britain is, is considered the, the top two of the most stable nations in the EU. You have Britain and you have Germany. Um or the UK and Germany. Uh, now where, where France uh where France stands, you know, they they have their problems, but mm-hmm. definitely nations like Italy, Spain. Greece uh, you know they're not the most uh, stable countries right now economically and uh, I think they've been dragging the European Union down uh, as far as many have been stating mm-hmm. and Switzerland Switzerland is not been a part of the uh, the European Union so and I know I know they are pretty stable so I couldn't answer whether this is going to lead to the, the uh, departure of other of other schools, it, it could end up being like the, the old Southwest Conference when uh, when Nebraska and Colorado left. Yeah, um, it made the Big Twelve. Uh, you know, the, the Southwest Conference when Arkansas left, I should say. Uh, Southwest Conference ended up becoming absorbed with the Big Ten, or I'm sorry, the Big Eight, and it became the Big Twelve. Mm-hmm. And then later on, Nebraska and Colorado left, and then A and M and Missouri left, and so you know they had to scramble to find some new schools and. I mean it could be something like that but you still have the big you still have the big 12 today even though it's I think a weaker conference. Yeah. But it could be the same thing with the EU. Um you could have some, you know, Norway or I I'm, I don't even know if Norway is part of it, but uh but you could have some some stable countries saying, "You know what? This EU business is just dragging us down." Mm-hmm. And and they could end up quitting and you could still have an EU but it'll be a greatly weakened one.
2: Yeah. Yeah,
1: and then you've got Spain now you have you have separatist movements within Spain mm-hmm. the Catalonians and the Bosques want to leave so who knows
0: yeah who who does know um and on that on that uh, topic of of greenland they there's still a um an autonomous they call them an autonomous Danish dependent territory uh, mm-hmm. they they have their own parliament and everything um but yeah. But they did leave the the EU in 85. Interesting. Yeah. Anyways, well, if there's no domino effect in Europe, what do you think is going to be the effect in the UK with Scotland and Northern Ireland? Um, Because right now, uh, the Scottish National Party, uh, they are talking a lot. Now, they did a referendum here a few years ago um, to become... um, independent of the UK. And that was a pretty close vote. Um, and now they're talking about possibly doing another one. Um, mm-hmm. so they are, you know, they've been with, uh, great Britain for what, since 1707. Correct. Um, so a little over 300 years. So they may be oh. trying to get independent. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, they had the, they had the union in 1707. Um, they uh, when uh, when King James uh, became when James uh, became the king of uh, England. That's you know pretty much when when they started working together and, and became one nation somewhat. But you know you didn't have the official union until about a hundred years later. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I, have, I have a buddy of mine who's Scottish, and he very much wants. Separation. He wants, uh, he he feels, look, Scotland has its own identity. Uh, We we see things, we do things differently. They have the Presbyterian Church. The English have the Anglican Church. You know, they're just, the Scottish do want to go their own way, I think, and there's a good possibility that they may join the Union, the EU. Mm -hmm. That's the feedback that I have heard. Now, Northern Ireland is going to be kind of kind of tricky and here's why. Being part of the Union, the United Kingdom and Ireland, people could come and go as they pleased. They could cross the border as they pleased. And mm-hmm. and this very much made the Catholics happy. Now with with the United Kingdom exiting the EU, I highly doubt that the Protestants of Northern Ireland are going to make much of a fuss. I think the only people who are going to make a fuss will be the Catholics of Northern Ireland, because now uh, you have a border, and does this mean that they're going to now have customs? Very likely, mm-hmm. unless, unless they work some sort of an arrangement. Yeah. But, but that's a separation, and yes, you, um, they're, they're going to be two different countries now. They're not, they're not part of the European Union. Now, here's another thing. Um, The European Union has stated that any member and any citizen of the United Kingdom could become a citizen of the European Union. Mm -hmm. So Hmm. I think that is the route many of the Catholics of Northern Ireland may go. But again, that's just speculation.
0: Yeah, I mean, it all remains to be seen, I think, um, I guess they'll, they'll probably try to put a couple of referendums together for Scotland and Northern Ireland and, and see, see what happens. Um, it's, it's definitely going to be odd uh, if, if those things go through. And Northern Ireland and Scotland are no longer part of the U.K. Um, and it's almost like, well, what do you call it after that? Do you still call it the U.K. with you know England and Wales? Um, and uh, what do you call it, uh,
1: Ireland? And... well yeah, Northern Ireland, I mean you if they Scotland left, you would still have the United Kingdom. You just won't have a Great Britain.
0: Yeah, but I just wonder like what all that's going to, you
1: know, be
0: made up of uh in the in the who knows how long, you know, a couple of years to come, um months, <laughs> you know. It could be a quick turnaround, yeah. who knows? But I mean I doubt it's gonna be a quick turnaround because this whole Brexit thing has taken you know three years now, um, and they look like they are pretty close to making it happen. And I think the the election results just sort of like okay, that was that was the straw that broke the camel's back when it came to the resistance uh, to getting everything done because they kept pushing back the date. Uh, October thirty first was you know Boris Johnson's date, he's like no ifs or buts. Well, there were no ifs or buts, but it still got extended. Um, so I guess we will, we will see what happens there. Um, and we've got our own elections coming up in, in a year. Um, so that's going to be, that's going to be interesting. That's a topic for another day. All right. So moving on from the UK elections and the Brexit situation, let's move on to the 75th anniversary of the battle of the bulge. Um, this was towards the end of world war II. This was sort of the last ditch effort uh, from Germany, uh, the last German offensive. Um, so, Alan, what what was the significance of this battle?
1: Well, the Allies thought that, that uh, Germany was pretty much done. The um, now keep in mind that in September they had the uh, Operation Market Garden to uh, hopefully. Cross the Rhine uh, at Arnhem, and then head east, and then go into Germany and have the war over by Christmas. Well, that didn't happen. Uh, um, the battle, um, the, the Operation Market Garden, was a failure because the last bridge uh, over the Rhine uh, could not be captured. So it was,
0: it was too far.
1: It was it was a bridge too far. Bridge that's true. <laughs> so you pretty much had. Um, all our guys lined up along what was called the Siegfried Line, mm-hmm. which was which was the German border. Now that was not their last main obstacle. Their last main obstacle was the River Rhine, but this was a major obstacle uh, that the Germans built um, before uh, w- before the war started, uh, lying up against the French and the uh, the Belgian, Luxembourg, and Dutch borders. So. Mm-hmm. All right, so they're lined up, and it's now winter, and, you know, a lot of armies don't really like to fight in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. So, and there's a little area called the Ardennes Forest, which is in Luxembourg and in Belgium. And they sent a lot of units there to have their rest and recreation. <laughs> um, nothing was expected to happen in that sector, because, it's it, you know, they just thought it would be a quiet sector.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, what, uh, what uh, Hitler decides to do is... Uh, line up about 40-plus divisions to concentrate in that one little area during the middle of the harshest winter, which was expected to occur uh, in mid-December. Uh, the, the battle began on December the 16th. Um, I want to mention real quick that uh, there was a very famous person who, who died the day before. His name was Glenn Miller. I'm sure you've heard of uh, his, band. He his band. band. Yeah. The Glenn
2: Miller Band. Glenn
1: Miller Band. Well, he took off from Britain and he was going to go entertain the troops, and his plane disappeared and, uh, and it crashed somewhere. They think somewhere in the uh, English Channel, they don't know. And okay. I don't think his body was ever recovered. But
2: hmm.
1: uh, unfortunately. Sure it wasn't over
0: the Bermuda Triangle?
1: I don't think he flew that far. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, unfortunately for him, not only was he killed. But his story uh, of his of his disappearance uh, disappeared also because of this new offensive. So back to the Battle of the Bulbs. Mm-hmm. So Hitler, Hitler sent all these units to concentrate in the Argent forest. Um, he sent uh, German, I'm sorry, American, English-speaking Germans to cause havoc. Uh, behind uh, American lines, uh, they would uh, switch signs around. They would uh, destroy communications. So the winter winter sets in, it's, and the clouds are hanging low, and this effectively removes any American uh, air support, which w- is very vital in the with the way the uh, the military was fighting. In fact, um, every army that was good had some sort of air support to to help them out. Well, not only did the, the, the fog and the low clouds prevent American air support in terms of bombing and strafing enemy troops, it also hurt reconnaissance. So they didn't know that all these German units were gathering uh, to the east of the Ardennes Forest. Well, December 16th comes around at uh, four something in the morning, five something in the morning, a bombardment begins. Mm-hmm. And all these units that went to the Ardennes Forth to get some rest and recreation because they were shell-shocked or, or whatnot, suddenly be, received brunt of the invasion. I want to mention uh, Alex Kershaw.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: he wrote he wrote a book called The Longest Winter. And uh, you know it talks about the uh, intelligence and reconnaissance platoon attached to the 99th Infantry Division, which was right smack dab in the middle of where the offensive started hmm. so uh, it, it's it's a very good book it, it follows 18 men uh, uh of that uh, platoon mm-hmm. uh, led by a guy named lieutenant lyle uh, it's lyle buck or lyle Buck. i'm not exactly sure how to pronounce his last name but mm-hmm. but he was he was on the opposite end of the spearhead that uh, colonel joaquin uh, piper and uh, the supreme group leader uh Josef sepp dietrich um on that offensive that went now, the objective of the offensive was to go through the forest, cross the Meuse River, and capture Antwerp. For the British and the Americans knew what was going on. It was something that they tried successfully in 1940, when they went through the same area, and Rommel was part of this offensive. Now he was dead by this time because. Rommel took part in the July twentieth plot to kill Hitler. Right. So uh, Rommel had uh, he had killed himself by this time, so that he could save his family. Right. But uh, so this had this had worked before, and they thought they would try it again. But the German army was much more strong was much stronger than they were now. Um, it worked in nineteen forty. The Germans crossed and and they uh, reached the English Channel and. This is what led to the uh, famous—you've seen the movie Dunkirk? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, that's why Dunkirk occurred, because the British, French, Belgian, all those guys were trapped when the Germans raced across to the English Channel coming from the Ardennes Forest. Well, Hitler wanted to try it again. This time he was going to try to go to Antwerp, and he was going to separate the British in the north and the Americans in the south and hopefully prolong the war— Mm -hmm. on that sector so that they could concentrate on the Eastern Front to stop the Soviets. Mm -hmm. Well, a couple of problems. Um, Number one, you know, this platoon that I mentioned that that the book covers delayed that offensive by one full day. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was also a town called uh, Bastogne. Now, in Bastogne, the 101st Airborne was deployed there. Now, there's like six or seven roads, including a railroad that goes through that town. It's a major juncture, and that was one of, uh, of Germany's uh, objectives. Well, the 101st Airborne was sent, and they dug in, and um, the Germans surrounded it, but they could never capture it. So if you watch uh, Band of Brothers, you'll see a little bit about what happened. Uh, many of the people from Easy Company were on the northeast side of, uh, of Bastogne fighting, fighting the Germans, facing the town of Foy. So the Germans never made it to the Moose River. George Patton suspected that Germany was going to, that the Germans were not out. Mm -hmm. And Patton suspected that something like this was going to happen. So when Eisenhower had a meeting with the uh, American generals, Patton said that he could turn his men around and head towards Bastogne to relieve the men there. Starting within 48 hours, which
2: hmm.
1: everyone was like, "Ha ha ha! Yeah, right." Yeah, uh, I don't think so, but but he did it, and he uh, he, he he was prepared. He knew it was going to happen. He turned his men around, and they went uh, they went north, and um, on the, on December the 26th, they arrived in Bastogne to uh, uh, not to relieve the men there, but to the uh, the siege was lifted. So that supplies could come in, but the, but if you have read, say, *The um, Band of Brothers*, you'll know that the, the men of the 101st still had to fight, and their job at that point was they had to go north, so that you know a bulge was created, and that bulge was heading towards Antwerp. Mm-hmm. So what they decided to do was that they have men going um, deep within that bulge from the north and from the south. So that they could trap all those German Panzer units mm-hmm. to the west and crush them within the vice of the, uh, the American units meeting at some point north of of uh, Bastogne, and that did occur exactly one month later on January the 16th. Mm-hmm. The that forces the American forces on both sides on the north and the south did meet. They trapped quite a few now before. That even happened. There were a lot of German units that were like, "Oh, oh crap!" They knew what was happening, mm-hmm. and they turned. They turned around, and they went and they fled to try to escape. The vice that was about to uh, shut on them. Yeah. So you know, January sixteenth, um, the Battle of the Bulge wasn't over by then. It was still. It was still going to be another two weeks before the, the battle was declared over, mm-hmm. but uh, the damage had been done on January the sixteenth.
0: So is that why they call it the Battle of the Bulge because of the the push by the Germans?
1: Yeah, if you if you look at a map and mm-hmm. you look to see how far in they went, you will see this uh, salient, this bulge,
2: mm-hmm.
1: aiming towards Antwerp. That that's where the term the Battle of the Bulge came in. Okay. It was a great great American victory. We did lose a lot of men. I mean, it was short of the Battle of the Mar uh, not the Marne the uh, the Battle of the uh, Meuse Argonne from uh, World War One. This was the, um, the most this was the worst battle in terms of losses for American uh, American soldiers. Oh. Um, about <clears throat> about twenty thousand were killed, yeah. and there were about um, eighty nine thousand um yeah. casualties altogether including the twenty thousand killed and that's what think about that twenty thousand killed wow. yeah can you imagine if we lost that many say in iraq yeah. they would have uh, they would have uh, shut the war down immediately if we lost that many guys in, in a six-week period
0: yeah well i guess that's uh what the the last ditch effort you're putting all of your your eggs in that one basket um uh, because the from the ardennes forest to berlin was it's about what 500 miles isn't that about right
1: um that i i couldn't tell you i just i know that you know if if you cross successfully crossed
2: mm-hmm.
1: the ziegfield line you still had the river rhine to cross mm-hmm. which was a, a, a i mean a pretty pretty deep and, and wide river in some places mm-hmm. um and then uh there was a bridge at remagen that was uh was captured intact uh, and there is a movie called the bridge of um george uh, George Siegel was in that movie. Um, but they were able to capture that bridge. Had they not, it would have delayed them. They, there were airborne landings. Mm-hmm. Um, but had they not crossed the River Rhine, then it, n- there's no telling how long it would have been delayed for them to get it to get across. Yeah. Um, and then the Soviets would have been able to capture more of Western Europe than, than what they did capture because when when the Allied when the, when Britain and France uh, and the United States managed to cross the river, one of the things Britain did was race to the Baltic Sea as fast as they could mm-hmm. to prevent the Soviet army, the Red Army mm-hmm. from reaching de- reaching Denmark.
0: So because it was almost like they were fighting a battle against the Soviets without fighting them.
1: That's correct, because Winston Churchill suspected that, uh, he, he knew that Stalin was not a good character. Mm-hmm. He'd known that, he'd known that long before World War II. He, he spoke very badly about, uh, the communists, even back in, in the days, uh, when World War I was ending. Right. So he knew, he knew how the communists were. And he knew based on what he's finding out in Romania and Hungary, um, Poland. He he knew what the what the Soviets did in Poland.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So you know the Soviets they allowed the there was a Polish uprising in Warsaw, and the Soviets just sat and waited until the Polish and the Germans beat the hell out of each other. Yeah. Before they moved into Warsaw, so so Churchill knew what Stalin was up to. So yeah, he, I mean they raced, raced to get to the Baltic south of Denmark, so that they could not. Uh, go into Denmark, and then never leave. And, and they knew that it would happen.
2: Yeah.
1: And, and you, not only that, but you, you're familiar with Operation Paperclip. No, I'm not. Operation Paperclip was when the Soviets and the Americans were trying to get as many of the German scientists um, to capture them and send them over to their side. Um, the Americans, uh, was it, uh, Werner von Braun, I believe was his name. He was the, he was a German scientist who created the V2 rocket.
2: Hmm.
1: Well, he was the reason why we won the, uh, space, uh, the space race. He was behind the, um, you know, the, the Saturn rocket that, uh, uh, was able to get us to the moon.
0: Hmm. Okay. Wow.
1: So, yeah, Werner von Braun, um, you know, our audience should, uh, look him up. He was. He was a German, and uh, Operation Paperclip. To we had to get to them before the Soviets did. So there was already a competition mm-hmm. between the Allies and the Soviets. Yeah. FDR, you know, he was kind of he he had some communist spies uh, like Alger Hiss working for him. Mm-hmm. But but Churchill, Churchill knew that Stalin was a bad character.
0: Yeah. Now and he, even, if, you say that like, the, you said that the the Brits. You know, raced, um, you said they raced to Berlin, correct?
1: No, no, no. They raced to the Baltic
0: Sea. They raced to the Baltic Sea. Now, didn't um, Patton sort of have the same idea? Like, he knew that we were going to have to fight the Soviets. He was, wasn't he advocating for just continuing the fight against them after World War II? Um, Yes. So didn't he take his third army and race them to Berlin before the Soviets got there? Is that correct?
1: No, no, no. He he ended up racing into, uh, I believe it was Czechoslovakia. Okay, all right. He 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 was he was on the southern part. The British were to the north. The British were, um, if you if you look at uh, D-Day, mm-hmm. the 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 British um, landing landing beaches were to the east, and the Americans were to the west. You know, Utah and Omaha were to the west. Mm-hmm. Gold, Goose Sword were to the east, along with the Canadians. Well, then they would go. Kind of in a northern direction, or on the northern front, and then the Americans were more to the south. So we pretty much Patton um, raced all across um, the middle section of France, racing towards Germany. Mm-hmm. The British were always to his north. Okay, so that's that's why they got to the Baltic Sea to make sure that uh, Denmark didn't get captured by the Soviets. While the Americans were more, again, like in Bavaria, and uh, they went into, um, they they made it into Czechoslovakia. I think the first, uh, the first division, um, the big red one, they made it into the. Um,
0: so, which which army? Which army was the first to reach Berlin um, ahead of the? So, Soviets? Those were the
1: Soviets. Those were the Soviets. Uh, uh, Zhukov, Zhukov was the first one to go into Berlin.
0: Okay, because I thought maybe I. Misremember or misinformed, um, but I thought that we wanted to get to Berlin before the Soviets took it over and burned it to the ground.
1: Eisenhower decided to let the Soviets capture it. Okay. All right. And and then, you know I, I have not read his uh, his autobiography or his memoirs, but I suspect it was because he knew that it was going to be a huge fight. Mm-hmm. He really didn't. He really didn't want. Americans to be killed unnecessarily. He knew. He, I guess he figured, okay, look, let the Soviets capture that city. Yeah. Let the so let the Soviet uh, Red Army get killed uh, capturing that city because he knew that the Germans were going to fight tooth the nail to uh, mm-hmm. keep that city from uh, falling. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, that clears that up for
1: me. So even. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now Patton Patton was not happy by Eisenhower's decision.
0: To let Berlin go?
1: To let the Soviets capture Berlin, correct. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay. Uh, So what did that do? Like That eventually led to the result of the Allies winning, what, a couple of months later, correct?
1: Well, the the German offensive that led to the Battle of the Bulge um, pretty much depleted so much of the resources that the Germans had that at that point they really were not as great of an offensive or even a defensive unit at that point. Um, I mean, did, did they put up a stubborn fight? Yes. Mm-hmm. But they they lost so much, so many tanks in that battle, and um, they, they were not going to be that effective unit. Had they stayed, they might have been able to keep the British, the ally, the British Americans and the French in a much more difficult process trying to capture Western Germany but because they lost so much in that battle, it was like they put all their eggs in that one basket. Mm-hmm. They were not as effective uh, a unit out of that.
0: Yeah, okay. All right, and, and in May, what that was uh, Victory in Europe Day. Yep.
1: I do want to point out that like the, the 101st Airborne gets a lot of attention for that battle, but the 82nd Airborne... They fought like mad dogs at that in that battle, and many other units the same thing. The mm-hmm. you know Pat, Patton's army, uh, his his armored units. So, you know, th- there's there's a lot of units that uh, that fought in that battle. It wasn't just one the 101st, but they get most of the attention because they were part of uh, the siege at Bastogne. Okay, uh, that's the that's the one where the uh, Germans demanded the surrender, and the uh, general. His name was McAuliffe. His response was
0: nuts. (laughs) All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, um, as we like to always do, we like to end on a scripture. Uh, This scripture is Psalm 119.45. It says, I will walk in freedom, for I have devoted myself to your commandments. Uh, And I thought this was a fitting uh, scripture for what we were talking about, because the UK, um, in particular, the English uh, people are wanting to get out of there. Um, and one of the things that I forgot to mention was that you know over the past forty years, you know, there have been all these EU EU laws and regulations that have been adopted by the UK. Uh, so they're actually going to take all of those EU laws and regulations and put them in as UK laws and regulations. Uh, and then just go through them piece by piece, um, either update or remove them um, and uh, go forward. So to an extent, uh, this scripture sort of um, puts that in a, in a nutshell. It's like they want their freedom, and they also have these laws and regulations. They want their freedom, so um, they they know the quote-unquote commandments. So um, I thought that was just an interesting sort of correlation there. Um So it's interesting that this scripture says, I walk in freedom for I've devoted myself to your commandments. And a lot of people may think, well, commandments, aren't those rules and regulations? Aren't those restrictive? Yes. And that's why, uh, you have that freedom because you know exactly what you can and what you can't do, what, you know, what's good for you and what's not good for you. That's the best way to lead your life, um, is with some actual direction, Otherwise, and as I said uh, a few days ago to a friend of mine, there's a there's a pretty, um, well, I don't even want to say a thin line, but there's a, a definite line between freedom and chaos, and a lot of people get those two things confused.
1: You know, my first thoughts when I read this was like, going, wow, rules, regulations. I, You know, I know that there's a difference between obeying the laws of God and obeying the laws of, of uh, government, because many times we don't obey the laws of government. Uh, we might think them unjust, like, you know, the speed limits or uh, some laws or um, any type of laws that deals with free speech or drinking. You know, I, I've always been an advocate that these close the bars at 2 a.m. or don't sell alcohol on Sundays. Or,
2: you know, I don't know
1: about that type of thing. Mm-hmm. So, but, uh, you know, laws. Meant to be changed if we find them unjust or unreasonable. So, um, but in terms of the laws of God, uh, you you know, all right, you know, there might be something here or there where I'll be like, "Oh, come on, God, can't you just look the other way?" You know, that's a that's a beautiful woman there, and God will be like, "No," and I'll be like, "Okay, well, I'll turn off the lights, that way you can't see me." So, (laughs) will, will will that work, God? And you know, God can see everything, even in pitch blackness.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, And it's, it's interesting that those laws have been created um, for our protection, even the laws of God, even the laws of of nature that he's put in. Like if you do a certain thing, like everybody likes to use the law of gravity as a, an example. And I will, you try to defy the law of gravity um, without some definite protection, you're probably going to get killed or injured. Uh, what? so there are certain, you know, laws that you just like, look, here is, here is the way it is. And you have to deal with that and you have to abide accordingly. Uh, mm-hmm. and there is no difference in those types of laws. And then the moral laws as well. Uh, speaking mm-hmm. of, of like the woman, uh, the beautiful woman. Just, you know, there are repercussions that come with certain things. I had a, you know, call the other day just uh, like, hey, man, (sighs) just one of these young fellas is like, well, man, you know, that's uh, if you do a certain thing, don't don't be completely surprised when a certain, you know, repercussion takes place. It's just. It's just the laws of nature. It's just the way that it is. And if you know, you, you complain about those things too much. Well, it's just that's not going to help. You, you just abide. How about that?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it's like if you if we're going to talk about the subject of dating, and mm-hmm. I won't get into certain words because you know we, we try to be a family show. But uh, of course, I used to sit and think. I used to sit and think. You know, back when when I was a teen with raging hormones, I'd be like, you know why does God care if I go and have some fun and, you know,
2: mm-hmm. I'm not hurting
1: anyone? And, you know, a, um, a preacher or a priest would say to me, okay, let's say, for instance, you do go and do, do those things. There, there's God's not going to send you to hell, but, but he's warning you not to do it because there are repercussions. Mm-hmm. There's diseases. There's unwanted pregnancy. Mm-hmm. There's the fact that there's a bond that is created between the man and the woman, mm-hmm. and if you're just in it for fun, and she falls in love, well, you you're going to break her heart, or vice versa. If y'all are not married, mm-hmm. and one person falls in love, the other doesn't, okay, a heart is going to be broken. So, right. you know, I'm not, I I obviously did not follow that guideline. I mean, you know, I got married when I was in my late forties, mm-hmm. um, but and I and I I knew the repercussions of some of the acts that i was going to do and i did them anyway but but i knew that there were going to be repercussions and sure enough i believe me i suffered from many of them
0: yeah
1: likewise so it it, it is a lot of broken hearts
0: along the trail my friend a lot of broken
1: hearts well you know i I broke hearts my my heart got broken let's just say Um, i
0: created my own trail of tears
1: there you go there you go but uh, but even even birth control, I I remember asking a priest, why are you all so much against birth control? And he said to me, well, it changes the body of the woman for the worse. Mm-hmm. Things happen, you know, like like birth birth control will alter a woman's chemistry, and mm-hmm. and and it's true. It it uh, you it know does, it, yeah. it it causes some problems. So um, it's not God just trying to be mean and. You know, keep you from having fun there's just stuff that can happen
0: yeah it's a, there's a time for it so mm-hmm. and yeah I mean I know we, we've jumped on a moral talk here I guess we could do that some other time but yeah no that's uh, oh, yeah think about that scripture ladies and gentlemen uh, Alan where can the human beings find us?
1: well they can find us on Facebook YouTube Instagram Twitter, and we also have our own website, www.thesonsofhistory.com.
0: That's right, ladies and gentlemen. And also, just a little FYI, um, the Epic Times. Alan and I are writing for the Epic Times, sort of as, as guest writers. Um, and our first piece, uh, which uh, was written by me, is out and about. You can go to our Facebook page and check it out, or and just click on the link on uh, the Epic Times. It's about graduation rates uh, and education system. So anyways, if you want to check that out, Alan's going to have some coming out. I'm going to have another one coming out here pretty soon, maybe this, this week or the following week. So, uh, yeah, very exciting times that we're living in, Alan and I. So,
1: yeah, I did. And I did read your piece on the epic Times and I thought it was, uh, brilliantly written. Hello. And I enjoyed, yep. I enjoyed reading it. Well, I'm glad you did. Good, sir. Thank you very much. So, uh, so, I look forward to having uh, mine posted. Hopefully, they will like my story.
0: Yeah, definitely. So, I'm looking forward to reading it as well. So, anyways, ladies and gentlemen, that is the end of our show. Uh, Alan, anything else you want to say
1: before you head out? Well, no. Um, we're. Christmas is not for another week and a half. So, okay. never mind
0: that. Never mind.
1: <laughs> No, okay. no, nope, nope, I have nothing to say. <laughs> All right.
0: Well, everybody, enjoy your Christmas parties and whatnot. And we will talk to y'all on the flip side.